Hello everyone, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Today's show is going to be a barn burner. We're going to talk about some live sporting events that a couple of my good friends got to go to. It's going to be Ron Schultz and Nick Edmonds first, talking about the Rose Bowl game, that Rose Bowl drama, USC, Penn State. They'll talk about it from a first-hand perspective. We'll break down that game and the college football playoff. This bowl season is nearly over, just the title game left. Then I'm going to talk to Tyler Tesson, my good buddy from my sleep college days. He was at the Winter Classic to watch the Blues take on the Blackhawks. He talks about that. We talk Columbus Blue Jackets, 16 straight wins. And we talk NFL playoffs, these games coming up the wild card round, some head coaching perspectives there, and what's going to happen with some various teams looking to make some changes. It's the Money Mitch Effect, and it starts right now. Welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect. We're 44 episodes in. I can't believe we've reached that number, but this is the first time we've had this dynamic on the show. Two of my favorite guests, Ron Schultz and Nick Edmonds. Thank you guys for rejoining the show. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's you know Nick's second time. Ron's been on a bunch. We're gonna talk college football, one of the most unbelievable games that we've seen in bowl season history and Rose Bowl history. Both you guys were at it. The granddaddy of them all, the 2017 edition. USC defeats Penn State 52 to 49, scoring the last 17 points of the game. A lot of records, a lot of history in this game. We'll start with this. Both you guys were there. Ron, you were rooting for Penn State as a Pennsylvania native pretty much your whole life, but not, you know, not a Penn State alum, so not the heartbreak when they lost. Edmonds, your you know USC's native son, the uh, the prodigal son, the king of kings, all that. So you got, to, so you got. To, I almost did it without laughing. You got to see your team win uh, an unbelievable game. I'll start with you, Nick. It's been some tough times for SC. Both these programs have had a lot of tough times, yes. but for USC, which was awful during your tenure there at USC as a student, to win this game, what was that like? And to see it in person, you know, it it was an incredible memory. You know, like you said, it was tough times. I was I chose a pretty rough four years to go to USC. <laughs> Fair assessment. And I was in high school, and before they were just dominant. And as soon as I get there, you know, we get hit with the sanctions. Carol leaves. I think Carol was there my freshman year, and you know, it was like the Barkley era. But I'm what a coincidence. We're talking, yeah. yeah, we're talking. And now he you plays know, for your Bears. Emerald nut bowls. That's right. Barkley era begins in Chicago. I mean, I think we had two emerald emerald bowls, like a sun bowl. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it was. You know, it was a low point for sure, and the sanctions didn't help. I think you know when we lost scholarships and all that. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of great players went to other Pac-12 schools. So I mean, last night really felt like the culmination of like the comeback of USC. We had had some success, and then still kind of underperformed. And even the beginning of this season, it was dreadful. Bama, you know, I think we started the first month one and three. Yeah. And we were feeling pretty low, pretty hopeless. Yeah, I don't we, know who would have thought they would win the Rose Bowl at one no, and three. No, I, certainly I did not, and I'm sure a lot of others didn't. You would have made a uh, lot of money in Vegas if you bet. Right. <laughs> I mean, luckily we made the quarterback switch, and I don't think that could have gone much better. Sam Darnold is the truth. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, incredible, good. you know, freshman year. Uh, incredible game. He set the Rose Bowl record, five five touchdown passes. I mean, it was awesome to experience. I, I told Ron earlier, I got tickets to the game two hours before kickoff. I was really losing hope that I wasn't going to get to go to the game. I was scrambling the week. 
I even had a uh, a scamming issue on Craigslist. Oh. I almost got scammed out of four hundred bucks because <laughs> I mean you're desperate. It's the it's the night before. You're trying to get tickets. You know, yeah. you PayPal guy four hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what you do. You yeah, just, you just the farm. Yeah, no, it's it's great for you that you're able to experience it. And, and Ron, as a Pennsylvania guy and someone that's followed the Penn State program, they've been in disarray for so long since the terrible scandal that went down. And I know they lost this game, but to even get there to put on the show that they did, and I'm not even talking about building block for the program going forward. I'm just talking that in the moment, this was something that the football community really needed. And, and I know it stings now, but I think a lot of people are going to look back on this with feelings of being proud and uh, admiring what they've done. No, I don't think anybody, uh, any Penn State fan has anything to be ashamed of. I think coming into this season, if you had told them, hey, you're going to go to the Rose Bowl, you're going to put up the second most amount of points in said game in history, and they would have said, absolutely not, that's not happening. So I think this team definitely overachieved for what the original thoughts would be from the beginning. But I think what we really saw was the emergence of Saquon Barkley as one of, if not the most talented back coming back next year. I mean, the kid can can flat out play football and when he gets in space, he's almost impossible to bring down. And I think we really saw that that Trace McSorley, when he's on, can be very, very good. He just needs to he needs to cut down on the turnovers, and that's what that's what ended up killing him in this game was the two turnovers in the first quarter, and then the turnover obviously at the end uh, of the fourth quarter. But that being said, I think this was just really, really good for both these programs, for both Penn State and USC to kind of complete their comebacks, like like Nick said, to kind of bring them back to relevance, because I think college football is better when both of these programs are good. They're extremely historic programs. They've been good for a long time. They have some of the most passionate fans. I mean, I think, Nick, you could say, coming from an SC fan, I think, that, I think there was probably about 60-40 SC to Penn State, but I think Penn State, for the most part, was just as loud, if not louder, for most of the game. Those fans were really, really happy to be in this game, and uh, they have nothing to be ashamed of going home. I think they have, they should be really proud of this team. And looking forward to next year, I mean, they got pretty much everybody coming back. All their big-time playmakers are coming back. So, Yeah, I yeah. was definitely impressed by the Penn State, you know, the fandom. They were, they were definitely loud throughout the whole game. Definitely impressed. They repped the Big Ten well. And, it, I mean, it's really a tale of two teams kind of exceeding expectations for the season and both kind of overcoming, you know, setbacks and, of course, the sanctions. And, you know, to come and, you know, come together and put on one of the best games in college history, like, you could say, maybe it's a little too close to say that, but, like, at least in Rose Bowl history, I think it was one of the, you know, one of the yeah, best games. Yeah, it's weird because you got the standard bearer for football in our era, the Texas-USC game that took place yes. there. And I know Right, but the thing is, is, like, people are already mentioning game. it in that yeah, conversation, and that's, that's, that's amazing yeah. to it, have these two programs yeah. put on that show. I feel like we need, that like, kind we of show. need like, a full other show where we rank all the road Right, all the I mean, there's sure, been 103. Sure, sure. Right, you there's can. been 103. So. All those games, and even in recent memory, I mean, Wisconsin, Oregon, mm-hmm. you know, that was a trip. So, I mean, this is right up there with any one of those games. That's a testament to it. Absolutely. And on, and on TV, I agree, watching it, it, it seemed like a 50-50 split for most right. of the game, how passionate the fans were. But you guys were there, Nick. I'm not sure if you'd ever been to a Rose Bowl game before. I know, Ron, you haven't been to a game. What was that experience like, the... Not just the game, but getting there, tailgating the Rose Bowl, walking into the stadium, the countdown to kickoff, and then ultimately one of the best games of uh, either 
any of our lives really being played right in front of you. Yeah, I think for me, especially like coming from the East Coast, my only other time being at the Rose Bowl, I went to a, a UCLA game. So you can kind of, you know, get the history a little bit of the stadium when you go to UCLA game, but it's it's really nothing compared to the actual game. And especially coming from the East Coast, it kind of was this mythic, mythical land far away that, you know, some yeah. one Big Ten team got to go and play in this amazing stadium, this amazing game far away every year. And I, I just remember growing up thinking like, wow, that would be a really, really cool experience. And for me, going yesterday was just kind of, at times, I kind of I, I didn't really have anything to say because I was kind of made speechless by the moment because of the the greatness of the feeling when you think of the amount of great, amazing college football games that have taken place in this stadium, and the amount of history that just that I just witnessed too is that that will go down as one of the, the greatest games and the amount of records that were set mm-hmm. in, in a game that's happened 103 times. I mean, is it is the oldest of the bowl yeah. games? It's, and- Incredible. And you bring up a good point before I let you go on your side of the story, Nick. This game not being a playoff game. We wonder on the outside when games aren't the Final Four playoffs now if they matter. Mm-hmm. You could say that with a lot of bowl games, even New Year's Six bowl games, that maybe they don't matter. Some players aren't playing in them. You know, the, the team's just like they're going through the motion. This one mattered. Yeah, and I know and I it think- wasn't for anything other than the Rose Bowl trophy. You know, the final rankings notwithstanding, it wasn't for a national title. But it mattered. It made a difference. And I don't think there's any other game, with all due respect to you, all the other bowl games that you could say that for unless it's a playoff right. game. Even yeah. the New Year's Six Bowl what games. What else matters? Rose bowl is. Is. And especially, right. especially if you're coming from Pac-12 or Big Ten. Like, right, exactly. As, as USC, you know, when I was in school, the goal, obviously you want to win it all, but like the main goal is the getting to the Rose Bowl. Beating out the Pac-12 school, schools and getting to the Rose Bowl. There's so much rich history to that bowl obviously it's like the oldest bowl game and i was just trying to drink it all in like every second because i had been to the rose bowl once before not the game the stadium the rose bowl it was a horrible experience pouring rain <laughs> freezing it was the Did season USC? this was the season where barkley came back for a senior year Ooh. we were like preseason ranked like Ooh. number one all the hype and we didn't win a single big game it Barkley, was, got, man, they beat up on my Syracuse team though. yeah <laughs> that was the first time ever and I don't know if it's happened since I don't think it has where you had a preseason number one finish the year unranked it was horrible <laughs> like it was a nightmare season like there was such high expectations and literally to add insult to injury or I guess in this case injury to insult Matt Barkley got blindsided sacked by Anthony Barr and injured his shoulder ruining his draft stock, and it was just like the opposite of an exclamation point. It was an upside-down exclamation so point. You get like the Spanish, Spanish, Spanish exclamation point. <laughs> so, Spanish yeah. so you get, to, you get to experience you get to experience now the high of highs. Going to the game, walking into the stadium, knowing that your Trojans are going to play in the Rose Bowl, and then also putting on a show, getting the win. I mean, I, I could think of a lot of different things. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't go to a school that had a football team. I'm an Ohio, I'm an Ohio State fan. But going to see your team play in this iconic game, and I'm with you. When you grow up in Big Ten country or Pac-12 country, this is the game. This is what you look forward to. This is why I think conference pride exists in a lot of these yeah. cases, because of this game. And to be there for these moments had to be just unbelievably gratifying. Yeah, it's it's the goal. Like I said, it's the goal every year. And to get to see you know my team compete in it, the nerves, the nerves were high the entire time because – you know the stakes, and you know you're surrounded by 
the biggest fans, like both schools' biggest fans are showing up. Mm-hmm. You got people from Pennsylvania flying out, spending a ton of money. These are not casual fans. These are hardcore, diehard fans. And like you're putting all your emotions on the line. No one, obviously, no one wants to go home a loser, but. In this case, it was as close as it could get to no one going home a loser because I think both school obviously only one one school gets to to hoist the trophy and and, and you know put it add it to their trophy case. But I think this was the closest you could get to both teams going home saying it was as if we won because right. obviously that can't happen. But <laughs> I again I say Penn State has absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. They should be nothing but. Proud as hell of what they Definitely. what they put out there on the field. It was incredible talking with Nick Edmonds and Ron Schultz on the Money Mitch effect. Let's break down now the actual game itself from the get go. You look at these scores sometimes and you think, ah, oh, how how entertaining was it? When when we look back in history, people that haven't seen it, you can never really be sure of a game without having watched it. This one from the start was just a peculiar, exciting. I uh, can throw all the adjectives on it you want type of game. Starting with McSorley, you mentioned his hey, accuracy. A on the his, first game, play. his game was pretty much a bell curve. Right. It just went up and it went back down. Mm-hmm. Two picks in the first, what, five minutes? He hadn't thrown two picks, or he threw exactly two picks since October 1st. Right. So what? So you're thinking to yourself, so what's going on? there's two picks on the, first, on the first two offensive But then USC drives. can't really cash in on, on right. that. But they get a missed field goal on one, and then they get a field goal on the other. So they really only get three points out of that. And that's what I think spurred on Penn State going, we're still in this. You had you know, we made the mistakes, but we can still be in this. Yeah. You had USC's offense then finally start to get going. You thought, okay, here's why the Trojans were so good, Edmonds, with Darnold, who was a beast, spreading the ball out. And you knew early, and I'm not going to say I knew that USC was going to win this game, but you knew early it was going to be a long day for that Penn State defense by how effective Darnold was throwing the ball. And really, the offense, Clay Helton gets, deserves a lot of credit for this, how they were mixing it up. It wasn't just... We're going to go deep. We're going to go to the same guy. He right. really spread it out. We uh, we definitely uh, weren't running the ball as well as I would have liked. A ton of respect to that, you know, Big Ten, Penn State, front seven. You earn every single inch against that defense. But it was just good enough to keep going. You know, they didn't fully go away from the run. They were able to still keep it in a little bit. And like you said, I think that balance was key. And huge shout-out, i got to mention this, huge shout-out to uh, Ronald Jones. He changed his jersey number for this game to honor the late Joe McKnight, mm-hmm. uh, who used to wear number mm-hmm. four. I was so confused at the beginning of the game. I was like, I thought we had, you know, Ronald Jones, Rojo. Yeah. Who is this guy, number four? And he had to cut his dreadlocks off, so I was I was totally thrown for a loop. I needed a program. I should have had a program. <laughs> Ten dollars. That's I knew. Yeah, but that I think great, most yeah. of all, out of the offense, it would Sam Darnold stuck out the most, but... A huge shout out to his O line. I thought he had a lot of good protection. I don't. So I don't think times. he got sacked. I don't, I don't know if he. Well, no, he did get sacked he once. Got sacked once. Uh, yeah, right at the end of the third quarter, at least once. But also, his internal clock was extremely impressive. His ability to extend plays and kind of just sense pressure. I always. I've been saying this all year since he's been in. He'll make an incredible play, and I'll just turn to a friend and be like, Max Brown would not have done that. Max <laughs> Brown could not have done that. That would have been a sack. That would have been a pick. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple times I got to watch a little bit of it on the uh, broadcast afterwards last night, and there's just plays that should have been a sure sack, should have been, you know, a three- or four-yard loss, and he turns it into a three- or four-yard gain, just kind of escaping or dumping off. And McSorley was doing that as well. There, yeah, it was on it. It was both, both quarterbacks. There were some sure sacks. That, especially in, in, in the middle, like yeah. you were saying, kind of bell curve. It was, Second and third quarter, it was really both yeah. quarterbacks so, just going at it. So USC gets out to this commanding lead. Penn State starts chipping away. You know, mm-hmm. defensively, they couldn't really get stops at the end of that 
set at the end of that first half. But the touchdown to me, what I noticed with Penn State is the half was ending. Not so much that the tide was turning yet, but Penn State on offense, Ron, they were making some plays. And I think it was the Gasicki touchdown where he jumped out, caught it in his hands. A very athletic play. That was actually right in front of me. And you started and to that, think. That was an incredible catch. You started to think, okay, like these guys have athletes too. They can make plays. Who saw the start of the first the second half coming. I don't think anyone saw oh, it. No one did. Ahead, but you thought that it was possible that they could have right. success in the second half. And then it was the Barkley run, the the three and out, the Godwin catch that was unbelievable. Yeah. 28 unanswered points yeah, by, Penn State, by Penn State, Ron, to send the Nittany Lion fans and yourself into a state of euphoria. Oh, my gosh. It was, I mean, as good as you can script. And it's funny because Penn State, the entire year, second half team, James Franklin said in his game. In his halftime press conference to Sam Ponder, he said, we hate first halves, and then just walked off. I heard and it then, nonstop in the stadium all, all day really? yesterday. We're a second-half team, we're a second-half team. And, and it, then they come out, do that in the second and, half, and I was like, man. And they rough. seriously are a second-half yeah. team. They came out absolutely firing. I think James Franklin has to be one of the best in-game adjustment coaches there is right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely knows how, okay, I see what they did. I'm assuming they're going to do the same thing. This is how we beat it. And he keyed in on everything from the start. McSorley goes goes with that long run, seventy nine yards on the on the run. So then USC starts bringing everybody in, goes deep on two passes, they get another touchdown. So it's just they the defense they, they feeds use, off of that exactly. Defense feeds off of that gets all turnovers the gone for USC and it's absolutely. Also if SC would have lost that game, we'd be sitting at this table, uh, Nick and Ron. And saying they just didn't come out as focused. I mean, Penn State is a second half team, but you did get that sense, probably as an SC supporter, Nick, that they weren't ready to go, or at least at the level they should have been, knowing that Penn State was going to try to punch them in the mouth. And right. Succeed. And I mean, they were stunned. The fans were stunned. The energy was just sucked out of the USC the side. The Barkley run was amazing. I mean, well, the guy was the Bar- broke, broke like six Barkley, The Barkley run is one thing. That guy was a beast. I honestly think if they committed a little bit more to the run, they could have won. I don't know if we could have had an answer for it. I think... His you know, outside runs, once he gets out in space... Yeah, that, oh my God, that run was just <laughs> heartbreaking to watch. But honestly, what really sucked all the energy out for USC was the following touchdown, which was finish. deflected yeah. by the defender right into the hands. You're just like, man, if we're losing those kind of plays, that's maybe play. it's not, so it's not it's just part 50, of its 50, luck, yeah. but they create their own luck. They've been doing that type of offense. We'll get into the end of the game in a second, but that's... Kind of what the Penn State mantra is: we're going to go big. We're going to we're going to trust our athletes to make plays mm-hmm. and fight for the ball. It took a break, but you know they made it happen. Now, I do think though for SC, going into this situation, they were losing. You know they're down by fourteen. It's desperate times. We're getting into the fourth quarter. But if you're a Trojan fan, you got to know you still have Darnold. Mm-hmm. You still have an offense that can move the ball. And I've seen games. We've all seen games when fourteen points is the death of a team. I don't think anybody felt like the game was over when USC no. was down yeah, 14. Not the and, and you trust Darnold to make no. plays. You're just begging the defense, give us an opportunity, stop them. You know, and they did to their credit. They were they they, they finally for they finally did. You know when uh, when Barkley was when they were milking the clock with Barkley and only a few minutes left, I thought it was over. I was like, we haven't stopped this guy. You know, he, he's averaging like a ton of yards per carry, and just by luck or will or what, you know, we finally we finally stopped them when we needed to. Yeah, I remember one. It was like third and six, and Barkley bounced it outside, yeah. which every time, literally every single time he had done that on the day, he had gotten at least 10 yards, Yeah, and he had one guy to beat, 
and that guy made the tackle. And it was the first time that they had actually got him wow. in the open field. Michael Hutchins. And that, and that, was, and that was, honestly, that could have been the game, the, the play that saved the day for you. It is, because the timeouts were gone. Right. It, it and as over. big as the interception is, that's the play that's going to get lost in translation. But that is the play there. Because if Penn State gets a first down there, I'm pretty sure that they can ju- they would have enough momentum yeah. to just simply get one more. F- they got one more first down, the game's over. We would have only had one timeout left. They, they had to punt. Yeah. Darnold goes down, orchestrates a drive as fast as you could possibly get with those two pass interference penalties. They get down. They need yeah. the ball 30 yards. I know. 30 yards without play. a tick without a tick on the guy. clock. Three first downs on three plays and then two back-to-back pass interference plays. Like, you can't it get upfield. You know, it was, a weirdly, right. it was a weirdly, I'd say, officiated game at times. There were some I thought it was poor on both, both sides yeah, of the ball, honestly. You know, looking at some of some of the things, they weren't easy calls that were just blown, but you got a sense that it wasn't the best day for some of these officials. But I don't think it affected the outcome of the game. I think both teams had breaks go against them. Right, I think, I think that it was enough breaks going both ways that it didn't end up affecting. There were times when it was like, man, that could be a huge call. Mm-hmm. So I thought... The first one that I can remember off the top of my head was on the SC touchdown on the screen pass. I think it was their second touchdown. It was called pass interference on the offense. And then they went to review, which I couldn't believe. They went to review on a penalty. And then they came back and said that the ball was tipped at the line and that because it was tipped at the line, pass interference doesn't matter because once the ball is tipped, right, all is fair. You can that, but not... The, The thing was, is when watching the replay, the ball was not tipped. So either he got bad information and it was simply that the ball was thrown behind the line of scrimmage or it was a lateral pass, in which case, obviously, that is not a penalty. Mm -hmm. And that was just bad information. But that was I thought that was an interesting call. And then the next one, the one where Penn State was ruled that they got the fumble. Uh, McSorley's fumble. USC came up with the ball. USC came up with the ball and it. And they called that Penn State clearly recovered, had clearly recovered. I, but I replayed exactly. Didn't yeah, I didn't even, I thought, even review that. I thought it was the refs' call. USC has the ball, you, right? And I was very confused by both both of those calls, and one going one way, was, one going the other. It, it wasn't enough for of them me made, to overturn a call for a clear recovery. Yeah. He's rolling around the ground. Totally like he's Reaching. I know the college rules where if your knees, if you're on the ground, you have it, you're down, and you don't have to be yeah. touched. Plays a factor, but. You know, I wasn't really sure there. So, all right. I did think the refs had their hands all up in this game, though. That was they. Yeah. They were. I've never seen more plays under review. I mean, hey, I've never it was a seen long game. so. Oh, yeah, it was a it was long like a new hour game. game because the Sugar Bowl was supposed oh to start at five. Yes, they were going to say, "All right, we'll wait till this game's over," and they said, "All right, we got to start it at six o'clock West Coast time," which I think right. is local time in New York. Right. The ceremony was felt extremely short. I don't know how it was. I feel like on they TV. had to rush them out. Yeah, that's what I. Well, that no, must have been it. It wasn't. They switched that game over. They didn't before the yeah, they didn't show the ceremony. ceremony. No, uh, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure how this went down. It was probably on ESPN two or another ESPN one of their family yeah. networks, but ESPN had to go right to the Sugar Bowl because they didn't have time for yeah, it, for it all felt that. So Definitely the longest game I've ever been to live. Yeah, I mean, so still chat with Nick Edmonds, Ron Schultz on the Money Mitch effect. All right, we're getting to the end of the game now. Penn State, as we mentioned, comes out comes out really like Sting in the Raptors, 28 unanswered mm-hmm. points to yeah. start the second I, half. I was stunned. But there's <laughs> just death drops, Sting and death drops everywhere. But then all of a sudden, USC makes their run, and they get back into the game. They tie it up with, I mean, Deontay Burnett was a beast out there. Three Very touchdowns. unexpected. I mean, he's he's been you know he's been solid, but obviously you're thinking that Juju Smith or maybe Darius Rodgers are going to be the guys to step up, and it's Burnett. And, you know, and I think that's, that's honestly – what I think 
Darnold was probably thinking too was that Penn State would key in on those two yes. guys as well right. so that he knew that he could get this guy streaking across the middle. And you could tell that with Penn State's defense, they really didn't have a guy that was mm-hmm. exclusively covering no. him. They were kind of running the two middle linebackers were kind of on him, but they were kind of running his own. And it ended up ended up being him that, that sn- sneaks in because they're too worried about Smith-Schuster on the outside. So what did you guys think? I, this is what I remember I was going to bring up. Of the two point conversion call down by nine, in the pretty early quarter, on, right? right? I yeah. thought it was like up. I mean, Darnold, I did not big, weird formation. It. Big call, Penn State by I, surprise. Huge call. Yeah, it huge was, call. was a weird formation. And then it was like a he was like kind of getting wrapped up, and it was like a jump pass. Uh, my roommate, he's a photographer, SC football. I think he captured a really cool photo, like where Darnold's kind of jumping in the air, and like they're trying to hold him down. And I think it's from that. It's got to be from that two point conversion because it looked like he was going to get sacked on the yeah, play. Yeah. And and I think what what ended there. up happening is that the linebacker that was covering the tight end on that play came up to try and get the sack right. and left him wide open. And how many times have we seen that where the quarterback then just throws it right over your head? Yeah, it's such so a bad decision poor, for that defender. Ex- exactly, and it's poor decision by the defender ends up being being the two point conversion. And I think that was. I mean, huge call at the time, and by the end of the game, it ended up being a huge yeah, call because yeah. if, if they had kicked the, kicked the extra point, then they end up having to go for two at the end of the game mm-hmm. where it is about as loud as you could possibly have and <laughs> oh, yeah. all of the pressure is on you. Yeah. So at that point, I think it ended up being the right call for SC. So Darnold makes the drive, drives him down the field, down seven to tie it up late I had, with the pass interference I, call. I had but. a beautiful view of that game-tying touchdown. It was right oh, to my side. Yeah, incredible touch and incredible pocket poster to, composure to kind of step up and throw a great ball. It, hey, shout out to Sark for recruiting defenders. this kid and yeah, yeah. being on the bandwagon early. That's right. He yeah. was. Uh, so they make the play. Now it's 49 all, and we should mention this is when Dory Jackson was out with the game. Now, now here's and Cam my, Smith, middle Cam linebacker Smith from well. that uh, targeting right, from the target So he, here's my take on what went down. McSorley kind of just started chucking it up a little bit at the end. Two passes. Like the it's interception less, I was in one. It, what, it was like I, 90 it was, seconds it was, a minute, it was a minute 20 with two timeouts. So if you're Penn State, you're thinking, with a minute 20, two timeouts, yeah. we can get down this field two easy. Two-minute drill, easy. field goal yeah. range. Right. Yeah. Easy. All they needed was a field goal. Looked like so, he went with the big play. Like he wanted it all on, on one play two times in a row. But they ran I think, first down, I think they? the first down play was the wrong call. I think mm-hmm. that's where everything started going wrong. It was the first down play they ran a dive with McSorley. Yeah. McSorley hadn't gotten anything up the middle all day. The only time – he had run up the middle probably three times, and those were his shortest runs of the day. Every time that he had gotten any yards – it was a bounce outside or a counter. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, they ran just a simple dive thinking that SC would be thinking that they would be going deep, I think. Yeah. But it just, it simply didn't work out. They they weren't ready for it to be just a one yard gain. And they didn't even call a timeout. They wasted about 30 seconds getting back up to the line. Yeah. Uh, so it seemed like the next play was kind of in a shambles. Guy open, didn't get right, enough on it. Right. Oh, McSor- my God. See, and I don't know if that's necessarily on McSorley or on the guy because that tight end literally just sat there and waited for the pass to get there. And then the safety, if you watch that replay, oh. uh, talk about closing speed. That safety, I couldn't believe I he made it, it from the middle of the from, field. It went from being wide open, this is going to be a big play, maybe a touchdown. <laughs> right. So this is going to be a pick six. Right, and, and, and that's exactly what the emotions were for the Penn State players yeah. or Penn State fans that I was in uh. the section with. I mean, everyone thought – Oh my God, he's open. He's got a first down. If they complete that pass, I think the game's more or less over. Yeah. In terms of at least Penn State can get into field goal range and have a shot. Here's my take on this too. I think first of all, I'm not going to criticize McSorley. This is who they were. No. This is how they got there. Big no. plays, going yeah. for it. 
chucking it up a little bit, but you know, you that you go with what got you to the dance. The other thing is, I think part of the strategy was influenced by the fact that Adore Jackson wasn't in there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think I that think so thought, too. if he's I think so there, too. If, if they're making big plays down the stretch on defense, maybe that goes into the play calling. But I think Franklin's seeing that their guy's out, that their their top gun is out. Yeah. I, I mean, he de- I think just, he definitely uh, was thinking just that. A, I want to backtrack just a little bit about the first down play call. Just in a little bit of defense of Penn State, they hit that dive on like third down, I think in the first half. Or they it was a, just a simple dive, yeah, you're right. wide open hole, and it was like a 20-plus yard that one. That one they did. And I think that's probably what they were thinking was yeah. that – SC was thinking pass. Yeah, everyone in the stadium is thinking like pass or something. Every, yeah. Everyone's thinking pass sure. because it's because it's two minute drill. Yeah, Siri, sorry, Siri disagrees. Siri's like, I'm sorry, I got to say something. <laughs> right, Dude. they should have run. And, and I think that's what they were thinking <laughs> yeah. as well. And it simply didn't work out for them. I still think that they should have taken timeout at that point. Yeah, I think that's when you go. They lost Man, that play. That that play didn't work. I think the confidence. I think it was it was a bit. A bit messy up top. Now, uh, if, for Penn State if we want to talk about play calling, one of the things, so obviously SC gets the interception. All of a sudden, the tide turns on the very next play, mm-hmm. and and he didn't step out of bounds. They're already in in territory in Penn State territory. One of the most forgotten aspects of this game that would not have been forgotten if the outcome had changed. Real conservative decision by USC to just run the ball with all that time left and lay up right for a with forty-five, a 45 yard, field yard field goal. I don't know how you feel about that Trojan man over here. But Here's what I thought. I was okay. I was okay with the run call, but I honestly thought they were going to try to get in another play. I thought it was going to be... Spike it. and that, Well, yeah, then you're on third down already. Yeah, your run spike and then third down. Yeah, and we didn't but have But I would trust outs. Arnold to throw sideline. He'd been torching the Penn State defense down the stretch. I think you trust your guy in that situation. I mean, it worked. Don't get me wrong. Got got with, it was like a six or seven yard run, I think, day. you know, got him to like the, tw- I think it was the tw- from the 28 yard line. The kick was, if it's 30 from the 30 or more out, I would have been a lot worried. Seeing that number 28, I was like, okay, that's doable. It's like a, oh, a 45 yard kick 45. Now yeah. I, I talked about his struggles, Which would be game, but drilling the last kick to win it. And I don't know where you guys were sitting in relation to the kick on TV. It looked like it was making a veer for. It's, so it's also I was hard, right it's behind the field to, goal post. It's also hard to judge lefty kicks, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I totally. don't see it too much. So it looks I was like right it's going to miss, going to miss, so and it looked, right in. It looked from from where I was. I was basically the opposite end zone and right behind the field goal post. So I had about as good of a look at a field goal as you could get. And the beginning of the kick, you're totally right, was left and it veered right wow. just at the last second. And went in. And Borgester was counting. And, and everyone, yeah, I mean, I think everyone in the Penn State section thought, oh my God, he missed it. I had, and, yeah. he, and, and it And it veered right at the last second just to get in there. I had a very bad view of the kick. <laughs> I was like, basically, right. You should, you should watch it. I was in I, line one with thing the goal I don't agree with is even if it's, you watch it, because it could be, you don't want to miss that moment with your head down. Oh, of course you even watch it. You know, even if, yeah. I no, mean, there yeah, are fans that did that. There are fans that uh, wouldn't no, watch. You have to watch. You have to watch. Uh, I will. You paid all that money. You better watch. (laughs) That's funny that you say that. When I was a wee lad, remember the famous Boise State, uh, Oklahoma finish, Statue of Liberty play, and all that two point conversion. I changed the channel. I was so nervous. And you, had, and you missed you, it? I missed it. Who were you rooting for? Oh, did you really no. I didn't care, but I was just like, <laughs> I it. And like, I changed it, and they did it, and like, 
I saw what had happened. I'm glad you admit that. It's another healing process. I know. Can I begin. Know. <laughs> but no, I, and I'll say this watching the Bormeister reaction and the USC reaction, they knew it was in her. I rewatched that kick a couple times. Yeah. They knew early, earlier than I did watching it, that it had the right distance, it had the right trajectory, and it went in. And, and one last note on this game. So SC wins. Penn State, obviously, you know, heartbroken this 52 49 classic. But I think going forward for both these programs is going to be a phenomenal ride. You have SC now still riding now, what, a ten, a, a nine-game winning streak to mm-hmm. end the season. Penn State getting as close as you can to an improbable end to their season. I think it bodes well for not and just for of them the programs, but the individual players, too. I mean, right. is it safe to say that both these teams could be, you know, preseason top five? I don't, yeah. think, it's, I don't think that's too bold. I think that's honestly probably what's going to happen Ooh. because of because of wow, who who voted these down, two teams exactly because of who these two teams have coming back. Clemson is losing to Sean Watson. I think that in and of itself is probably a 10, 10 point bump. I mean, he is they'll be the top best ten, but not top five. Top, Bama's, yeah. Bama's in there, yeah, and they and they might be ten, they might be nine, but you losing know, lo- Michigan factor, and then you have um, you know Washington. Uh, Right, but I think yeah. I think no, this I this game will be in the minds of the preseason voters. Yeah, obviously. But the thing is, does anybody remember the preseason rankings? No. Because the only thing that's the same, exactly, Alabama and, and Clemson. That's yeah. it. And, that's right. it. That's and, the only thing that's the same. If you had told any of the people that Washington would be would have made oh, yeah. it to the college football playoff, it, it would. Well, so the, th- the thing are, is, preseason rankings doesn't mean anything if, anyway. If you're in a Power Five conference, it only, it only matters to non-Power Fives. To get that good start early and a good right. buzz early, but if you're in a Power mm-hmm. Five conference, you win your conference, you go even one and get one loss the way out, you're going to the playoff. I mean, yeah, that's just how it works. So I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you there, but I'm looking forward to the next season. Darnold probably. They both have get, great, great guys coming back, know. man. Darnold, great guys one, coming one back. One more year at USC. I think mm, he's got a few. He, what is he? Retro he's retro freshman. freshman. Yeah. I don't know. NFL might be calling him after next year. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> just, hope, hopefully I wouldn't get well. attached too much to him. Right. You I could mean, see him on the uh, LA Rams. If they after seeing you know how much <laughs> hype was around Barkley, and then he kind of fell. So I'm not getting myself too excited. Never time. know about USC guys in the NFL. Right. Unless right. unless like linebackers are pretty yeah. good. But yeah. Well. Before we wrap up this segment on the Money Mitch Effect, that was a great Rose Bowl discussion with Ron Schultz and Nick Edmonds. I do want to get some initial reactions to the playoff games. And, and the Rose Bowl was amazing because there weren't, or there, weren't that many, there weren't that many good bowl games this year. Rose Bowl was the best bowl game. I mean, the yeah. only one that gave, even Orange. came close was that Michigan game. Orange bowl, it was yeah. a Michigan-Florida uh, State game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Bama and Clemson dominant performances. And in Clemson's case... I'll start with that, Ryan, as the ACC resident expert here. They finally put together a dominant defensive performance. I think this was the game we were waiting for. We knew, look, it doesn't surprise me, Watson having success against any college football team, Alabama included. But the questions that were finally answered going into the final game or what their defense is capable of, shutting out Ohio State team, that was a pretty phenomenal performance, especially by the big guys up front. Yeah, I think so, too. I think, really, people people underestimate Clemson's front seven. They are... Big, they are strong, and they are fast. And even on the back end, guys like Tankersley, they got some decent guys in the secondary too. I think what I was really waiting for more than them putting together a defensive performance was them putting together a game that started at zero and ended at 60. The game that was from start to finish, Clemson Clemson has had, we've talked about this before, Clemson has had lulls pretty much every game of the season. Even in the ACC championship, there were some lulls. So this is the first time that we've seen Clemson put together a start-to-finish game where they were completely dominant the entire game. There was never a, a doubt in anyone's mind 
that Clemson was winning this ballgame. Even, even on the start, when Deshaun Watson throws the pick on the first drive, I don't think anyone was really like, well, that's the start of the yeah. end for Clemson. I think Clemson came back out. They forced a three and out. Didn't even let him get in the field goal range off the pick. And from the, from there, it was it was over. I mean, Clemson was straight up dominant. And I thought, too, it was a good game from a play-calling standpoint, giving credit to Clemson's offense there. We've had questions before. Are they just going to chuck it up with Watson? They actually ran the ball. They, right, they let Gallman go. They let, they let, they let a couple run. of their guys. Yeah. And they let a couple of their guys go. And they and they rotated guys in, kept fresh legs in there. It wasn't just Gallman. It wasn't just uh, Deshaun. And they actually let Deshaun run a little bit more than he has this season. I think they've kind of kept him back. Um, on those option plays, and they actually let him keep it a couple times on the option plays. And I think that's going to be key against Alabama is getting the run game going a little bit mm-hmm. just to give give it a little bit. Yeah. Because the, the pass game is going to be how they're going to have their chance to beat Alabama, but you have to get the run game or else Alabama is just going to sit back and pick off Watson mm-hmm. a couple times. And I want to be clear with giving the proper credit to Clemson. Ohio State didn't show up. No, that's part of not. it too, and that, and that is not again take nothing away from what Clemson accomplished. They absolutely proved everybody that they were the second best, at least the second best team in the country. But Ohio State, Nick just didn't show up, and it was from the beginning. It was staggering to see that in a big time playoff game, they just didn't have it, and that wasn't one guy. It wasn't just JT Barrett. It wasn't just Weber at running back or Samuel. It was guys dropping passes, blown assignments, penalties. A complete failure in preparation for the Ohio State Buckeyes. I was stunned. I was stunned. So I mean, for Urban. Yeah. And, you know, they. Oh, was, heads are going to roll, by the way. Yeah. Right. Right. Coaching, I mean, coaching uh, decisions on that staff, it's going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> Ohio State just, like, has that history, especially with Urban Meyer, to, you know, show up in these big games and usually win. And for them to not even put up a single point, I, like, I was shocked. And, you know, I don't know. It's kind of one of those debates, is it more Clemson playing well or is it more Ohio State playing poorly? But I was just, the main thing that I felt was just disbelief that, you know, a team as good, as historically good as Ohio State, just completely flopping. I think the offense, it was just Ohio State now playing well. I think defensively, look, Clemson scoring 31 does not surprise me at all. That's mm-hmm. right? right. That's right. right. Yeah. I think, and, and, that, you know what? They're one of the, they're, Aren't they the second best offense in the country? I think so. I mean, they're and defensively, it wasn't a complete disaster like the offense for Ohio State. They made some. They did a good job at times when it was seventeen nothing. Like, okay, come on, guys, let's go. And Ohio State's offense never happened. Step. I I think there was a point where on TV they zoomed in on JT Barrett, and you could see him mouthing to the OC. I had no time, and that was that's the story of the game for the offense for Ohio State game too. I know. I I think both. I think both of them kind of. But JT was saying, I because well, that, that was the story line. of the game. Be- biggest because weakness. They were straight up getting manhandled by Clemson's defensive line. They Michigan only had to rush up. four, and they were getting yeah. pressure almost every play. Michigan beat up that line. Clemson's best part of their defense is probably the D line. Yeah. Styles oh, absolutely. Fights. We talk about absolutely. that in other yeah. sports. Yeah. And there you go. Talk I mean, about a, a rough bowl season. Big Ten. <laughs> Three and seven. Oh, my gosh. Tough, yeah, man. Hey, and your wins are Wisconsin over Western Michigan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Shout out to the ACC, winning uh, more bowl games than any conference. What's up? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, congrats. Um, <laughs> you have Wisconsin. You have, what, Northwestern one? Northwestern one. And the third one was somebody else pretty weak that won a bowl game as well. I'm drawing a blank right now. Oh, uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. Who fires their coach as a result. Right. Yeah, good times. <laughs> um, I got with something else anyway, so that's all right. So the other semifinal, not the biggest surprise in how the game went down. Alabama beats Washington. 
by a score of 24-7. I felt like it was more dominant than 24-7 yeah. while watching that game. Here's the thing. Alabama's offense, and, I mean, obviously they decided to make some changes as a result, but offensively, not really what we expected. Not you know They weren't that great. But defensively, I mean, this is the best defense that I've seen in a very, very long time in college football. Browning, like you said, mouthing, I have no time. The second half was, it was brutal to watch how Washington just could do nothing, could do nothing. Mm-hmm. And how Bo Scarborough, who is allegedly, what, 18, 19 years old, I'm not really sure about <laughs> yeah, that, right. but just ran all over the Huskies. And it was 12. typical ho-hum workman-like performance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I see his birth certificate, just says I'm 12 on it. Right. I, uh, I mean, <laughs> <Bench warmer. laughs> oh, yeah. I think you got to, you definitely got to give credit to the Husky defense, like at least to start off, obviously Bo eventually went off, but. They have a great D line and a great secondary, and it, it felt like they were hanging, you know, hanging tough. The first time I felt like they were hanging wet. Yeah, and then I, I saw I saw a tweet like mid game, just like the cruelest thing that Alabama does is give teams uh, the thought that they have a chance and they have no chance. It's and true, I feel like they do that eventually. The right? How many times have they like Florida? How many times have teams scored first against them? Yes, or had a All big time. That especially like, oh, this is yeah. the time. No, it's not the time. Right. Yeah, I hate to break it to you, but it's yeah. not. Right. And, and and Bama won't won't go out and put up sixty points on you. Bama will go out and they'll beat you and they'll beat you every time. More but they're not gonna, but they're not gonna kill you. They're gonna dominate the game from start to finish, but they're not gonna put yeah. up forty Control points a game. So they're only gonna defense. they're only gonna put yeah. up twenty four, twenty seven, twenty one. Like they're not gonna put up a crazy amount of points, but they're gonna dominate every facet of that game. And that's just a tough matchup in general just I feel like the Pac-12 has shifted over the last decade to speed first and you're going into you know the SEC the most dominant SEC yeah size and strength not that they don't have speed too but I mean these are big boys on the front lines and Washington you know is a little undersized but I think one of the things too that Alabama does I mean we could sing Saban's praises for a very long time but he plays the field position as good as anyone. Now, I know they had the 99-yard run, but when they get that lead, they're going to go conservative. They're going to pin you deep. You want, you want to drive 80 yards on our offense? Yeah, our defense? Right, go right ahead. Right. And then that forces you in. I think also, too, an underrated aspect, they're a good defense on all downs. It's not just the third down stops. They come out to play. They don't give you those free seven, eight-yard games to start it. Then it's second, third, and long. They know you're coming with the pass, and they can just tee off on you. It's, it's a dominant performance. And I do want to wrap up this this segment while talking about Alabama being the first team that I can remember making a change at the coordinator position, the play calling position. The day before going into the title game. I know know it's a great week for you and USCU. Now we get to pile on Lane Kiffin too. (laughs) I'm confused. I know he's the Fort Atlantic coach and it's tough to balance both jobs, but a lot of guys are able to do that. Yeah. Tom Herman did it when Ohio State won And you got to do it for a week. One more week. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be at the game now I'm hearing that he's actually going to be there like in, in the Which press is box. more of a distraction than anything. So yeah. he, here's what I wanted to say. I know Hurts only threw for 57 yards, but I, we watched this game. We watched all this game. He ran for 50. Okay, the passing attack wasn't there. It wasn't a poorly called, and I'm not a Lane Kiffin defender or truther, but I, it wasn't a poorly called game in my opinion. No. They won ugly. You do what you can to win. And I was, I mean, I was a Ohio State fan when Jim Trestle was the coach for all these years, and it was a lot of ugly Big Ten football. But the results were in. There. And I don't, think, I don't, I don't think Alabama necessarily usually wins pretty. I don't no. think it's ever a flashy win. It's no. always a grinded out. 
we're just bigger, stronger, faster, yeah, and we have more endur- more endurance, and we're exactly we're gonna outlast you. And that's that's what Saban has built there. Not necessarily that they're gonna put up the numbers, not that they're gonna break any records. They're not gonna have a Heisman every year, you know, even though they have had two two in his yeah, time. Yeah. But they're not they're not always like big individual performances. It's net. It's just grind it out, outlast. We can do this for longer than you can. I mean, we all knew this was a rehab stint for. Saban and Kiffin, Kiffin and them, I think they share agents, and Kiffin needed to re- rehabilitate his image a little bit, and know what better place to learn under Saban, but you see Saban yeah. is kind of a dictator, kind of a stingy guy, Lane's more of a wild card. So yeah, speak. and Kiffin's got a bit of, bit of an ego. I mm-hmm. think I, I think something must have happened. Yeah. 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 I think something must have happened behind closed doors that we don't know about. This coffee's cold! That's the same thing <laughs> I was got to. <laughs> And maybe, maybe it was just one thing, one thing too many. That <laughs> Left toilet running, right? Fire. Yeah. All right. No. I am gonna miss those sideline, those sideline oh scuffles, my gosh. man. Just the death stares. If you have, if you have a chance, check, check out. I think Dead's been put together like just a yeah. list of gifts of Saban just chewing into to Kiffin, and it that is one thing I'm gonna miss on that Alabama sideline. Well, it's <laughs> just crazy to this think. shorter man yelling yeah. at this tall man. Well, now yeah. you got Sark, who's gonna be pretty much the play caller. So it's like right. a huge drop. It's like right. having a five star on your bench. You have a former yeah. one. One little man. bit of hope for Alabama <laughs> is that Sark is basically Kiffin's shadow. He's just kind of been following him yeah, throughout basically the career. Kiffin 2.0. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like the replacement. And he's been doing it for a while. You know, in a couple of years, Sark might be the head coach at FAU. Probably know. <laughs> he's just drunk Kiffin. Yeah. <laughs> Kiffin is, I think his future is still pretty bright considering how young he is. It's hard to believe that he's still not even, what, 40, 45 yet. And I think, you know, we'll see if he's learned from the past mistakes. He's a sharp football mind. His ego has gotten in the way. We'll see now if he takes what he's learned from Saban. I don't think... Florida Atlantic is his destination dream job. I think he'll be. He might only be there for a year. It's no. very, very, <laughs> very possible. But they win ten games next year. He's only there for a year. Well, I think I'd look at other power programs. If drawing a blank here, I'm just throwing it up here. But if LSU has a bad year, with Let's say if UCLA has a bad year, Moore is gone. Well, that's my Chip Kelly destination. That's Chip. I think Chip Kelly's going. Right? Yeah, Chip I think Kelly, everybody's kind of thinking the same thing. Yeah, I think everybody's you know, thinking the same thing. Yeah, Moore more. gets fired. Chip chills for a year and then comes back and coaches oh, UCLA. Then, then this is, and I know he hates USC and he loves the Pac-12. He doesn't want to go near the SEC. But then, could you imagine this? Him saying, why don't you come back for your senior year, Rosen? Oh, He's yeah. probably the one guy that could convince him to do it. Rosen's yeah. going to sit there at the NFL. Might say, no, come back for one year. You play with me. I'll increase your draft stock. Yeah, I think all of that just depends on how Rosen does. Right. Because if I mean if he's a if he's a guarantee if he's a guarantee right? first first draft Darnold, or first round pick Darnold Lamar Jackson's out that year mm-hmm. Rosen Sorley could come out yeah I don't know much about his pro prospect we'll, we'll yeah I don't know either I, I think a lot of yeah. I don't think a lot of people had much pro prospect before you know the last couple games but they probably perked up after watching yesterday yeah for sure so, I mean the potential was there. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. This was fun. Of course. Five plus minutes just flew right by talking about the Rose Bowl, an experience that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Yeah, if you got talking about the podcast, but also the Rose Bowl. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) If the listeners have a chance to ever get to the Rose Bowl game, I could not recommend it. Absolutely. It's definitely it's a bucket list thing, man. It was it was electric. Worth every penny. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again for coming on the show. Big thanks to my guys, Ron Schultz and Nick Edmonds, for coming on the show. And they were very excited to recap this game, the 
dramatic Rose Bowl. It's true, that's a bucket list. If you have a chance, you have to go and see the Rose Bowl. It's a once in a lifetime experience. And I haven't gone yet, so I'm gonna have to take my own advice and go shortly. All right, now it's time to talk NHL, NFL action with Tyler Tesson. He's a St. Louis guy. We're college teammates in hockey. He's gonna talk about the Winter Classic. He got to go to that game to see the Blues play the Blackhawks. We'll talk about that, the NHL scoring leaders, the Columbus Blue Jackets winning 16 straight, and some NFL thoughts on the wild card playoff weekend coming up. It's Tyler Tesson on the Money Mitch Effect. Here's the interview. Alright, welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect, and now on the line, reoccurring guest, Tyler Tesson. Tyler, thanks for joining the show. And thanks for uh, coming on in the uh, wee hours of the evening from St. Louis. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. So I mentioned earlier in the show that this was a big, this past week, kicking off in 2017, was a big week. It's a big time for sports, a lot going on. We have some guests on the show who were at the Rose Bowl, but Tyler, I know you were at the Winter Classic in St. Louis, as we talk a little NHL now with the Blues and Blackhawks, and it's always been a big thing. It's been about a decade now they've been doing these outdoor games. Some people think they kind of oversaturate the market. But I know how much St. Louis has wanted this game. And judging by everything, the numbers, the, uh, the show going into the alumni game as well, it, it looks like it really did deliver. Uh, is that accurate? And what was your experience being at the game? Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I, the only hockey game I could compare it to was Game 7 against the Blackhawks last year. And this I'd probably put this above that just because of the whole experience involved. And then also just the fact that I think it was the highest attendance ever for one of these alumni games as well. So, I mean, there were 40,000 plus at that. You got Gretzky out there too. I mean, every time you can get all the alumni, it was a, a pretty big deal. I thought that game, just judging by the pictures and, and, and Snapchats and tweets I, I got with that game, the alumni game. I thought that was just a great sign for the week building up. And you know, I mean, you know more than anyone how big of a sports town St. Louis really can be. To have this game at Bush Stadium, to have the Blues and the Blackhawks, I think that's the part of the equation that made it even better. I think was that it wasn't just Blues and some Eastern Conference team; it was the hated Blackhawks, the team that they consider their biggest rivals. Yeah, I mean, that definitely added another dimension. Then, you know, you have a lot of Chicago fans that are in St. Louis or travel to St. Louis for the game. So, you know, you have some trash talking going on. But, yeah, the whole Blackhawks dimension was awesome. And then you have Brad and Bobby Hall going out there to drop the ceremonial first puck, which is a great way to start the game. It was. It was uh, It was really cool to see both of those guys in their respective jerseys, Brett with the Blues and Bobby with the Blackhawks. Although I didn't think in 2017 Bobby would have been aging better than Brett, but <laughs> that's, 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 we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you can tell by the way Brett played the alumni game. He, I think he was a fourth liner out there. <laughs> yeah. What a sad state of affairs. He's got the fourth most goals of all time. and. Yeah, it's just too much of a shame that he can't crack the top three lines of the alumni game. But it was a good game. And I think the biggest worry, too, you know, looking at it from the broadcast perspective, we didn't know until the morning of what time the game would start. Were you guys worried in St. Louis about what the, if there would be rain, like a rain-sleet combination, what, what the situation would be there? 
Yeah, well, that was a strange thing. On Sunday night, they put a release out that they were going to give an update on the game time at 7 a.m. So, you know, it was supposed to rain all morning. So everyone kind of was just under the assumption that it was going to start late. And then the announcement came out at 7 a.m. just saying it was going to start on time. So it kind of threw everyone off. Yeah. It's like, get to the bar immediately. I think it ended up being delayed about, like, 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, just all the pregame ceremonial stuff, it, it got pushed back a little bit. I think, too, with the Winter Classic and some of these games, Tyler, I, I think the NHL's getting better. I know they've had a lot of practice, but they're getting better at putting a, a quality rink out there. I know both goalies, Crawford and Allen, said they really uh, liked the ice. They thought the surface was great. We know in the past that hasn't been the case for, for people that aren't really familiar with it. They have to do this from scratch. It's not an easy thing to do even with the months they have to prepare. Yeah, and you could tell by the pace of the game, the first period was a little slower and pretty sloppy, and you could you could just tell from the stands that the ice, there was just almost standing water on the ice, and every whistle, they'd have guys out there with squeegees trying to <laughs> yeah. get the water off the ice, and then you could tell the, the pace definitely picked up in the second and the third. Well, the Blues were able to come out victorious by a score of 4-1, to one, and it really was closer than that, Tyler, with the Blackhawks getting the first goal early on. From the crowd reaction, we know these Blackhawks Blues games. Was it not? Were there not as many Blackhawks fans in terms of a percentage, or were the Blackhawks faithful still out and in, uh, in full effect there? I would say it was close to ninety percent Blues fans. Like That's a normal good. Blackhawks Blues game at Scotchrade, it. I mean, it could be as low as like sixty percent Blues fans, but I think just with these tickets being so sought after and the Blues fans that were paying for them were paying a, you know, top dollar and just didn't want to pass up the opportunity. So I think you didn't have all the secondary market tickets out there for the Blackhawks fans to come in town to get. Yeah, I think it was a good thing to see, you know, that game and that the Blues faithful come in and really support their team, obviously. You know, I know from the World Series perspective, Tyler, when it was Game 7, and it's hard to fault the Indians fans for taking obscene amounts of money from Chicago, but it felt a little weird with Game 7 of the World Series being almost like a neutral site game. So I'm glad it worked in uh, the hometown team's favor from a crowd standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was honestly really surprised. I was expecting to be a lot more Blackhawks fans there than there were, but yeah, I'm happy there wasn't because you could definitely just tell, you know, every Blues goal, that place was going crazy. Now, did you think the actual game, obviously Tarasenko, uh, another great year, looks like for him scoring goals too late in that one, but did you think this game meant more? I know it's a, a big deal for the public perception and the grow the game of hockey, especially on TV, but it's still one out of 82. Do you think this game meant any more to the Blues given the nature of it or the rivalry game? I think just the nature of it. I mean, you can just hear the guys talking after the game about, you know, how cool it was to play at Bush Stadium. I heard Hitchcock talking about it was just a completely different environment walking out. You know, they came out of the dugout and he's like, you could hear every single word the fans were yelling at you. And he's like, most of the NHL arenas, you kind of guarded, you know, you have the tunnel going back and you can't hear as much. So he just said it was a completely different atmosphere and it really got the guys going. And, 
you know, I don't know if you saw like the selfie Tarasenko took yeah. after the game with the crowd in the background. I mean, I, I think it's just there's an extra element to it for everyone. You don't know if you're ever going to get that chance again. I mean, going into it, you don't know if you'll it, the players too. You, even if it is another Blues outdoor game, they could be on a different team. So you never know when you're going to get that chance again. And it is the Blackhawks too. I mean, whenever you play your rival, you want to beat them. That could just be one more thing that you hold bragging rights over. Uh, especially looking up at them in the standings. Yeah, it was really kind of the perfect storm. You know, yeah, the Rams leave, so everyone sick of hearing it's just the baseball town, and then you also have your rival coming in. You know, they had a, a playoff series last year against each other, so, you know, the rivalry's heating up slowly, too. So I think all of that kind of added to the suspense of it. There was one last thing I wanted to talk to you about this game, Tyler, and it was about the alumni game. You mentioned the Rams. You mentioned how it was obviously an unceremonious exit for that football team, a lot of bad blood, and rightfully so. But I just want to know your perspective on, I think it was the alumni game. You have, you know, the Rams have probably the most antisocial owner in all of pro sports, Stan Crockett, who just doesn't want to greet and see anybody. But I think you had Tom Stillman outside the Blue Zone greeting the fans and, and stay hanging out there for a while. I think that just painted that picture beautifully of the difference between those two regimes. Yeah, and then, you know, you have Stillman and you have DeWitt out there. I, they dropped the ceremonial first buck, or one of them, for the alumni game. And, you know, where we were at, Stillman was kind of in our area during the game. And he was going around the entire Winter Classic game, just shaking hands, talking to people, taking pictures with people. You know, you can just tell he really enjoys it and wants the fans to enjoy it and feel like they're part of it as well. Yeah, I mean, he's a passionate sports fan, and I think the biggest thing with that is you have, you know, you have somebody that, and not that, you know, anybody that makes the money that those guys make can do with it whatever they want. They don't have to be anything, but you have somebody that actually wants to do this. And I think it shows. I think it, it helps the product at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it makes players want to be here, too. When you know you have an owner that's committed, wants to be in the city, wants to get the fans involved, I think it just makes it a better experience for everyone. Absolutely. Well, still talking with Tyler Tessa on the Money Mitch Effect, and we are going to talk a little NHL as well, not dive too deep into storylines, but the biggest one, and they did, it just went final, they won again tonight. The top team in the NHL, and this really just shows you how crazy the world's getting, Tyler, but the Columbus Blue Jackets have now won their 16th straight game. They now have 58 points, 27-5 at 4. We thought this team was going to be good last year. They underachieved Tower, and we talked about it, how they were making the right steps going into December. Well, they went 14-0 in that month. They're on a historic tear, one off the record. Is there any explaining what Columbus is doing right now? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, 15 straight games, it's hard to explain. I mean, you got to get lucky every once in a while in there. But, you know, they brought in some veteran guys, I think, that that are helping out and also acquired some young guys as well, and it seems like it's all just coming together. Here's the first thing I'll say. You know, the win tonight, now they're one, if they win one more game, that's 17, and they tie the record for most wins in a row with the Penguins of the 90s who had, as you well know, one of the most loaded rosters in, in a hockey era. But I don't think people who aren't as familiar with the game tower understand that this is probably the hardest sport to, to put a win streak like this together. Because in yeah. basketball, you have more nights off. You know, it's not as physically grueling. 
Football, you have the full week in between. I mean, you're not going to get to 17 unless you go undefeated, but it's easier to rattle off some wins when things fall your way. Baseball is a different dynamic as well. But to play this grueling game, to do it on some back-to-back, some, some road trips, and to weather some storm with injury-related is just phenomenal. And I think the only way you can explain it, I mean, the roster, they've drafted well. Everybody's hitting their groove. But when you have a power play like they have, I think they're hitting at about 27% right now, top in the league by a, by a considerable margin. I mean, that's such a weapon. And, and I think when you can just automatically, I mean, one out of four, more than one out of four, it doesn't sound like much to the untrained eye, but that is quite the weapon. And I think they're tonight scoring two power play goals, I think just is a testament to that. Yeah, and I mean, you also you got to give credit to Tortorella, too. I mean, it's kind of been a resurgence of his career. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people were writing him off saying he could never get a job again, and yeah. you know, he's proven everyone wrong. I know one minute you're trying to get into a fight in the Calgary Flames locker room, and the next year you're uh, about to tie history. I actually think, though, too, that he might have he might have actually sandbagged the World Cup of Hockey. I think that's in play now. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get everyone to have their guard down. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, think of the perception of him after the World Cup. I mean, everyone just pretty much just thought the guy was an idiot for the TV pick, and then now he's got best team in the NHL at this point. It's scary how good they're playing. I think we have to give credit to Bob Rofsky as well. I mean, he was injured a lot last year. I know that the backups played McElhinney. He's played a little bit in that stretch. But they haven't given up more than, I think, three goals in this whole stretch. They're not winning shootout games, you know, 6-5, 5-4 games. So they're getting it. From the back end, Seth Jones is a monster on defense. Brandon Saad stepping in. I mean, they're deep, and I think that's the biggest thing. Even with Nash, they never had this depth. I keep harping on it, but it's true. And, and with that division, though, that's the thing. Tyler, they go cold for a month. They might not be top two, top three in their own division in the Metropolitan. Yeah, and I think the depth adds to kind of the winning streak going on. You can't win 15, 16, 17 straight games if you don't have depth. If you're relying on one or two lines a night, you just can't string wins together like that. Absolutely not. And they'll go for the record against the Washington Capitals team in, I think, two nights, and that's going to be quite the game. The Capitals are actually sitting in the wild card spot. They're only seven points back, but... You mentioned that Metropolitan Division is pretty tough. I think that's going to be very, very exciting. I did want your take on one thing, Tyler, talking with Tyler Tesla on the Money Mitch effect, and that's some resurgence in the scoring department. We, we like to monitor these things from time and time again. It's hard to believe now that, you know, you got the top four point getters in the league separated by two points. Tarasenko's in fourth, Crosby's in third, leading the league with 26 goals. But you have a tie now with Connor McDavid, who had the lead earlier, and Kenny Malkin. Uh, he's, I, I still think he's probably the most overlooked superstar maybe in any sport. It's hard to believe that this guy doesn't get the credit he deserves, but I just think he doesn't. Yeah, he just doesn't. I think part of it's with Crosby on a team. He kind of gets overshadowed, but he's always a top 5, 10 guy in points. It seems like every year since he's been in the league. I know, every year, and, and he goes on these tears, too. I think that's part of it, too. He might not be as consistent as a guy like Crosby or even McDavid, but he has these months where he makes up a lot of ground, he can score and assist, and it's his size, too. I mean, we, we don't really, you can look at the measurables and say that sounds like a big guy, but watching him play, it, it's a very big guy who plays like a much smaller forward. Yeah, absolutely. With Crosby and Malkin, that's why you can never count the Penguins out any year. I mean, 26 goals from Sid, though. I know it, I don't want to overlook that. 
It's getting ridiculous. He hasn't slowed down at all. He's actually gotten faster on pace for well over 50 goals this year. I don't know. It's hard to keep getting stunned by what he does, but this wasn't a, a quote-unquote pure goal scorer, and now he's just putting everything in the net. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a testament to him. His game's you know, definitely evolved since he came to the league. Kind of everyone thought of him as more of a playmaker for you know the first part of his career, and now he's slowly turning into more of a goal scorer. So if you look now to Tyler at the goal category right now, who's leading the league, it's Crosby by by a wide margin, 26 goals. A three-way tie for second with the ageless Jeff Carter and Austin Matthews and Patrick Laine, two rookies, each with 20 goals. I got to start with Matthews, though. I watched the Centennial Classic on New Year's Day with, uh, obviously, because there was just no good football on. It was just pretty much a disaster in the NFL. But Austin Matthews, we thought he was more of a passer. We thought he'd have a good year. He's up to 20 goals, had two in that game, and now, not only is he doing well, Tyler, but the Maple Leafs could make the playoffs. This is, it's hard to be, it's hard to have your jaw drop with something a number one pick does, but I'm stunned by how good and how fast him and his teammates are picking it up. You know, he started out high with the four-goal game, and then there's some inconsistency there for a while, and he's just catching fire now. I mean, you know, to be an 18-year-old kid with 20 goals in the NHL here, <laughs> you know, not even at the halfway point yet, it's just unbelievable. That team is better than we thought, not just Matthews. I mean, they're, they look like it's a coin flip to make the playoffs. We had them penciled in for the very bottom of this conference for a few years. But Mitch Marner, the younger Nylander, I mean, this is, this is a team to take notice of. And you know, part of me wonders, is it not just the star guys, Tyler, is it Mike Babcock behind the bench? Yeah, that, I was just going to say that. You know, you have a young team who, when you have a great coach like Babcock, you got to figure they're only going to get better as the season goes along. So, I mean, I, it's almost hard to count them out at this point with the way they're going. It really is. I mean, you have you have some very, very good, talented players. Austin Matthews right at the top of that list. Line A with 20 goals. They're going to be fighting for Rookie of the Year all the way, all the way through the season. I did want to make one note on Jeff Carter, though, before we you know, move on to some other topics. You know, the Kings right now, Tyler, are in the second wildcard spot in the West. It's been a dogfight. Pretty impressive considering that Jonathan Quick's been out. But I mentioned Carter, 20 goals. I saw this stat the other day. He's got the most 20-goal seasons since 07-08, and that's 10. He's hit it every single year. But you don't really think of him as that good. No. No, that's great. I, I did not know that. And he just said that. That's that's pretty crazy. He's a guy that kind of just falls through the cracks, it seems like, every year. He's a consistent goal scorer, but he's not that flashy, big-name superstar that, you know, always makes the highlight reel. Right. Very, uh, to, use a, to use a very overplayed phrase in the NFL that's usually a stereotype, deceptive speed. I think he doesn't seem like he's as fast as he is out there, but he just glides by players, and he uses all, all of his frame to do that. As a sniper, I think, you know, like he... We know this, too. If you can score in the NHL, there'll always be a place for you. And he's had his troubles, but he is one heck of a player and the main reason that the Kings are in the position they're in. And he was almost just kind of an afterthought when he got traded to Kings. Just, they were just dumping money to get him out of town in Philly, and he's just continuing to score goals every year. Yeah, he's pretty impressive to watch, and I think with him at the fold, with Quick's return, the West is a dogfight, too. We talked about the East, the Metropolitan Division. But I don't know who the better teams are in the Western Conference. I mean, you have Minnesota, who is on that tear, sitting uh, right behind Chicago in the conference. 
at the top of the conference. The Blues are right there. The Sharks are up there. You know, we might not even know who the top three, four seeds are, Tyler, until the final week of the season. Yeah, one team I, I just pretty much pencil Chicago in every year. As long as it's safe and stay healthy, it's, it's hard to knock them off. That's safe, although we're waiting. We're waiting for Nashville to make their move. I know they're really far down the pecking order. I mean, still only like two points out of the wild card, but it's a dogfight for those last spots. But is Dallas going to be back? There's some teams. I think we can pretty much write off Arizona and Colorado, though. They're both disasters right now. Yeah, I think they're uh, going to be going through some rebuilding here soon. <laughs> yeah, hey, Arizona might have to play the Ice Cats in Tucson sometime. You know, I don't know. <laughs> might have to. We'll see. But all right, Tyler Tesson on the Money Mitch Effect. I want to switch sports right now to football. And it's the NFL. We look at the playoff season. We look at what we're talking about with the matchups there. I don't think there has been a worse opening playoff game in my lifetime. I really have to run it back. But on paper, this Raiders-Texans game just looks brutal. And I think it starts with the quarterback play. You're going to have Connor Cook versus Brock Osweiler. So unless this was like a Cotton Bowl four years ago, I don't know that I'm too excited for this one. Yeah, you have Connor Cook getting his first NFL start in a playoff game. I don't, I'm not sure how well it's going to go. I mean, that game is just a toss-up to me. I mean, both quarterbacks are just terrible. I mean, how could you bet on this game? That's my other thing. Like, if you were a betting man, you know, not to say either of us are necessarily, but it's impossible to read. It's like Houston by a couple of points, but... I don't know. I mean, do you, I think you got to like the, the Texans by a little with their defense and being in Houston. But I don't know. It is just a crapshoot. Yeah, I, I think you'd almost have to take Houston in that one. The Raiders' defense hasn't been that great all year. You know, Carr and that offense is really what kept them going. So, And, you know, Houston's defense is solid. You, you have some playmakers. If you can get Miller back playing, you have Hopkins. But Osweiler, <laughs> He's just a detriment to that team. <laughs> he really is. He's a detriment to the Houston economy with the money he's making and the value he's providing <laughs> for, for I mean, his I, contract. It would, be, it would be interesting to see what the line shift would be if Savage was still starting. Oh, that's true. That's a very true point. And you know what? They really got screwed by the schedule because Savage is in concussion protocol. If this game's Sunday, maybe he plays. It would be about a toss-up. But the way it works, the early game Saturday he couldn't get protocol sooner. And, and the Cook factor, I mean, he didn't look that great. He threw a touchdown, but he was all over the place against Denver. I don't know. It, it could be an ugly one. And that's definitely the bottom list of our power rankings for games this week. But I will say, too, there's rumblings that we might not be done with the coaching moves. We have six out of, six coaches out of jobs. But I'm hearing that Bill O'Brien, if they don't win, could be out of a job. It could be a mutual decision. But that would... It'd be kind of a head-scratcher, but the more you think about it, it would be a guy that still hasn't won a playoff or still hasn't really made a run in the playoffs, Bill O'Brien looking for a job. I could see one of the other teams with an opening right now going after him, though, if they let him go. You know, he's a guy who's proved that he can win in the NFL. Mm -hmm. He hasn't really had a quarterback. So if you're a team, you know, that thinks you have an NFL franchise quarterback, he may be your guy. That's the thing, though. How many of these teams have quarterbacks? They have job openings. Yeah, maybe San Diego? And Buffalo, maybe? I don't know. about. I mean, San Diego, you have rumors. But, yeah. you know, maybe, what do you think, two, three, four at the most good years left? Yeah, that's still enough time, though, especially how quarterbacks are aging. You know, they're able to play a little more. But Goff, who knows? Bortles, I pretty much know. 
and you can just keep going from there. I mean, it's just, it's pretty rough. It's, I think, an, it's you know, an interesting year, though. You don't have that one sought-after coordinator or, you know, college coach or, you know, open mm-hmm. head coach right now. Like, there's just not that one guy out there that everyone's after. Yeah, that's true. I think there are some interesting – I think this could be a good year for the new quarter, uh, new coaches. I don't know that there's going to be too many retreads unless Jacksonville wants to run back the Tom Coughlin era, which I'm not necessarily opposed to. But I think this could be the year we get the breakthrough gigs for a guy like Kyle Shanahan, who I think could bring his dad on as a consultant. And I know he's, yeah. te- and I know he's technically a retread, but I think Josh McDaniels, I think it's pretty much time for him to get – uh, yeah, I, I, those are the two names that you, you pretty much hear for every job. And then I also I've been hearing Mike Smith's name thrown out there for a couple of the openings as well. I, just, I don't get that one because he, I mean, he, he did win. He won some games. He had some great players, obviously, on his team. But I, other than maybe Andy Reid, has there been a worse coach at managing the clock than Mike Smith? I mean, you watched the end of those <laughs> yeah. Falcons games, and it was just ridiculous. So is Hugh Jackson going to keep his job? Yeah, he's going to keep his job for at least another year unless Jimmy Haslam gets uh, investigated by the FBI again. I think we can pretty much pretty much pencil that in. But I wanted to, to hear your thought on McDaniels, though, quickly before we move on to these other playoff games, Tyler, because I think that the Tebow experiment was his doom in Denver. But if there's one thing for me why I think he deserves another chance and should be hired this year... If there's one thing I'd want somebody to fail at their job to do, it's go run right back to Belichick and spend time with him. So I think more years older, learning from his mistakes, I think he's ready now for another job. Yeah, and I think teams are going to learn too. I don't think, when he went to Denver, they just gave him full control over pretty much football. You know, yeah. the drafting, the roster. I think he's going to be putting us, like, he needs to be put in a position with a more experienced GM to kind of handle the roster, and he just focuses on coaching. Yeah, well, if that's, if that's I, the case. I just then, can't yeah. figure out the best fit for him, though, right now, because there's just not a great team with a quarterback right now. I guess maybe San Diego. Yeah, or if he believes in if he believes in Goff, maybe. I, I don't know. We talked about Buffalo. I don't think If you're looking for a good GM, I don't think you want a guy that's going to fight with the media in his press conference. But, you yeah, know, I, I, maybe... stay in a division with Belichick, too. <laughs> yeah, true. And maybe he wants to, maybe part of the play is, I'm going to take Garoppolo with me. Something to kind of think about there. Yeah, I, I have heard that. He could want to take his quarterback with him. I know the market's up for Garoppolo, and I'm on record as a Browns fan saying that's the, the path I would choose for getting to, for addressing the quarterback position is Jimmy Garoppolo on a trade. Yeah, I'm interested. See if maybe like a David Shaw or someone from a big name college coach mm-hmm. goes up, and then what domino effect that has. Where you know maybe you have Chip Kelly going back to <laughs> a big program like Stanford wow. or UCLA if more gets a job possibly. Yeah, UCLA is the hot hot take out here. I, I think that's very possible that next year Chip Kelly is making a lot of money not to coach next year. I think he could be a consultant, you know, help out some of his friends. But next year, make that move and really you know, make his mark in the college game. Because I don't think he wants anything to do with the SEC. Yeah. I heard someone talking earlier, which is a good point. You know, if you have a coach that you don't think is going to be sticking around for two-plus years, why wouldn't you just get rid of him now? When You you know, I'd say Chip Kelly's probably a top-five college football coach. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to win games and be a contender every year. 
why wouldn't you just do it? A guy like that is not available very often. Right. It's it's going to make it interesting to see how it plays out, but I'm with you. I think it could be sooner rather than later before Kelly's on a college sideline. So still talking with Tyler Tesson on the Money Mitch Effect. And before we wrap this up, I want to kind of do a quick uh, speed kind of power rankings of these three playoff games this weekend, Tyler. We kind of agree on the uh, AFC South game being four, that, or AFC South wildcard game with Raiders and Texans being the worst one. I still got to go Seahawks-Lions as the next one, just given all the injuries and how poor Detroit's playing. I don't know if Detroit's going to get blown out, but I'm not as excited to see this game as maybe I was a month ago. Yeah, and Seahawks at home, there's just, I don't, I don't see any way Detroit wins this game with the way they've been playing lately. Yeah, I mean, it's just, the thing with Seattle, though, is they have been playing, they're 7-1 at home, Tyler, but they've played all these games close, and it's more of them just keeping their opponents around. They, they have a lot of injuries, they've lost all their big play playmakers, so I don't know if they're going to be able to pull away from anybody, even Detroit. But when you have a team in a free fall like the Lions, it's going to make it tough to go into Seattle. And you know they haven't won a playoff game and God knows how long they're going to go into Seattle and do it. I just I can't see it either. Yeah, I yeah I mean Seattle's been so inconsistent all year, but I I just don't see how they don't pull this game out. I think we're in agreement on what the top game is. We'll wait on that for a second. I do, in our number two spot, I'm going to just presumptively assume that, I think Dolphins-Steelers can be an intriguing game. Because while Pittsburgh has the advantage, and it is a backup quarterback, Matt Moore's not terrible. The Dolphins have beaten this team earlier this year. And Pittsburgh's had a hard time focusing. They've, they've been getting you know outplayed by poor teams, that defense getting worked a little bit. I could see upset potential here for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was looking at something earlier. Pittsburgh, their home and away splits are just so drastically different. So, like, they're <laughs> they're just a much different team at home. So, I, I would say that's the one advantage they have here. But you never know. I mean, Big Ben can throw a couple interceptions, and mm-hmm. that game can turn very quickly. Well, you have a matchup that does favor the Miami a little bit and that their interior defense as much money as they pumped into it is very good so with Sue and Wake maybe you can neutralize Le'Veon Bell's dominance and then you also got to consider too that Jay Ajayi is an x-factor the way he's been playing there might not have been a better running back second half of the season if he's healthy full go and can eat up time of possession I think that could keep Pittsburgh's offense off the field and give Miami really their only shot that I think I could see him winning this game yeah, I mean, if you're Miami, I've, you've got to stop Bell. I mean, that that has to be your number one objective. If you can shut him down and you can get the Big Ben, that that's going to give you your chance. Otherwise, if you can't contain Bell, it's pretty much game over. I mean, I don't. I could see. I, did, I just yeah. don't think Miami could score with Pittsburgh. If Pittsburgh, you know, no. going on all cylinders. This could go a wide variety of ways. I don't want to pick against the Steelers right now, but I mean, this could be a close game. Miami could be right in it, or they could be down thirty at halftime. We saw that against the Ravens earlier this year, where if it goes south, they force things. Ben has a field day. Browns torch in the secondary. I think it could be <laughs> long. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you gotta. I mean, you have to give Adam Gates some credit too. He, got to be up there for coach of the year it's a loaded field this year he's right near the top of the list Belichick I know it's like Popovich in the NBA they just don't want to give it to the best guy because they assume you know he's just always going to be good but you have Andy Reid Del Rio Garrett Dan Quinn I I don't know how they're going to pick it this year it's 
Are yeah, you really it's going to be tough. Well, the game of the week, clearly, is that NFC primetime game in Sunday afternoon, Giants and Packers. Packers are favored. It's it's down to about four and a half points. It opened really, really high. Giant money started swinging that around. But I think we I think the other thing we can agree on, Two Towers, the winner of this game is going to have major, major Super Bowl potential. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, especially the Giants, they're the only team to beat Dallas twice all year. And I don't know what Dallas prefers in this game because you have to. You, you're probably going to play one of these teams that the Lions don't win. And you have a Giants team that's beaten you twice, not intimidated at all, good secondary, good defense, or a Packers team that if they played Dallas will have won seven straight at that point. Yeah, and you know, anytime you have Aaron Rodgers playing and you can't feel safe, especially if you're the Cowboys. But this one I I cannot decide which way to go here. I, I couldn't believe it though when the line came out at seven and a half on <laughs> on Sunday night. That was just absurd. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I can get the Packers at home, but the Giants' D is tough, and the Packers just have no run game at this point, so they're just going to have to stop Rodgers. Right, and I think you can kind of make the same case for the Giants. Their run game suspect isn't that great. The Packers' secondary is a little weak. It could be a monster game for Beckham. Remember the Giants' tower? Their two Super Bowl runs included a pit stop at Lambeau Field en route to that trophy. Yeah, I mean, this year, it has, it resembles those two Super Bowl years a lot. Just, you know, coming in as the wild card, going to Lambeau. Kind of a normal year for Eli. Not, he doesn't have one of his crazy interception years. <laughs> yeah, very pedestrian at times, though. Although I do like, you know, Shepard's been a very underrated part of the offense. They've got Cruz back. I think this might be the first time, including those trophies, where he's had three legitimate receivers. Obviously, Beckham's on another level. Uh, I think that, that giant offense is great. But then you have the Packer offense. Rodgers led the league 40 touchdowns. 26 of those came to two guys, Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams, first and third respectively in receiving touchdowns. Yeah, I think Green Bay really needs cops too, especially with you have a wide receiver essentially playing running back for you. And Cobb can just run so many plays out of the backfield for him, you know, get some screens, kick return. He could be the X factor if he ends up playing. And I think another X factor in this game, a former St. Louis Ram, Janoris Jenkins has had an unbelievable season. I, I think he's the most underrated corner right now in football. I'm interested to see how they match him up on defense. I mean, what if you're talking about him or just a scheme in general, Tyler, who do you try to take away from this Packer offense? Man, I feel like you got to take Jordy. I mean, he's uh, he just seems to be Rodgers' go-to guy, mm-hmm. but... But as we've seen every game when that's been the plan and they try and double-team Jordy, then, you know, Kvante Adams will score two or three touchdowns. Is there a bigger sure thing, too, with uh, the NFL or sports in general than Rodgers just on those seven, eight-second roll roll around plays that he's not going to throw a touchdown? I mean, it's every time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's unbelievable. You know, it's crazy yeah. to think, too, that, you know, halfway through the year, there were talks of Mike McCarthy getting fired. They, they, yeah. You know, there were problems in the locker room. Yeah, and now look where they are. You know, they run the table. Now, the schedule had something to do with it, clearly. They didn't play the best teams for some of those games, but winning six in a row in the NFL is hard to do no matter who you beat. And it's been impressive. I think both these teams still have their question marks. Remember the Giants, the two wins over the Cowboys were ultra impressive, but. They still had a lot of weak teams on that schedule. They had a big clunker two weeks ago 
against the, the uh, Eagles, but then last week in a game that they don't need to win, they eliminate the Redskins from the playoffs. Yeah, especially, you know, the Redskins are in a must-win game. You think it's going to be an easy one. You think the Giants are going to be resting some guys and the Redskins just come out. <laughs> the Giants come out there and surprise everyone. Yeah, well, it's going to be fun to watch. And before I let you go, Tyler, who's your pick right now for MVP of the league? I think it's a three-horse race. Which one of those signal callers would you go for? I think i got to go with Brady. Okay. I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to disagree. I still like Rodgers. The Brady thing missing four games. I know the interceptions, too, is just stupid in 12 games. But it's tough yeah. when you miss four games. I think... Ryan, Rodgers, Brady, you're not going to go wrong picking one, but we'll see. Yeah, who, who do you think gets uh, Offensive Player of the Year and Rookie of the Year? Rookie, I think, is going to be Zeke, and I think Offensive, they're probably going to give it to one of those other quarterbacks that doesn't win it. They like to spread it out, we've seen in the past. I don't know why. I, have a, I just think they may go Dak, Rookie of the Year, Zeke, Offensive oh. Player of the Year. I don't know. I just kind of have a... <laughs> yeah that they want to take care of both of them. Okay, well, and if we're also talking Offensive Player of the Year, an award based on stats, the best long shot to bet would be David Johnson. Yeah, yeah. And that definitely. guy is incredible, and if his team's better, he's right at the top of the MVP discussion, too. So yeah. it's, it, it's going to be tough. The awards are going to be tough. I think there's not really a lock at any one of these awards, and we, it's been a while since uh, we could say that. But, Tyler, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, try to stay warm uh, in the Midwest during these uh, cold months. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Huge thanks to all our guests on today's show, Tyler Tessa, Nick Edmonds, Ron Schultz. Appreciate everyone out there listening. The Money Mitch Effect's still growing. And in the month of January, we're going to have some big guests, some big uh, guests. Still like talking to my friends. We have all my boys and all my friends that are females, too, on the show. We're also going to have some big guests from some radio markets, some television professionals. It is going to be a big month, believe you me. You can find the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. Follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. You can find Sports Takes. All the shows are posted there as well. One more show this week. We're going back to three shows this week. We're going to do a full-on preview of the wildcard game. We're going to really dive into some of the matchups there. I'm going to talk about some other sports as well. The NBA is coming back. I'm going to have to get into that and just some more sports developments. I'm not going to want to leave you missing on all the sports takes. Australian Open's coming up. If you're a tennis fan, just saying, that's only a short couple weeks away. Everybody here that has been a part of this show, I am Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening to The Money Mitch Effect. And we'll see you next time.